We need to read our scripture lessons today. Our Old Testament text is Psalm 66. Uh, I know it just says the first seven verses, but we're going to read all the Psalm 66. It's not that long. Uh, it's in, well, I got it here. I don't know if you have it in the Bible at home or someplace like that. It's a very, very good psalm. Uh, has the highs and has the lows. Listen here to God's word. Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men, who turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lips uttered, and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. Amen. Our gospel text is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 24th, Matthew, the 24th chapter, right out of the middle of the Olivet Discourse. Actually, it's at the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. Verses 22 through 25. Again, listen here to God's word. Jesus is speaking. He says, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. Amen. And then our primary text today is Revelation chapter 13. Another controversial chapter from a controversial book. It may have uh, some of the more difficult issues to, to, to declare in there. We'll see how we make our way through this. So we're doing the whole chapter today. So let's read it and then we'll get to it. Listen here to God's word. And the dragon, that is the devil, stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. 
and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. And anyone, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform, even in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we are here today to worship You, and to hear from You, and to honor You. So we ask You, Lord God, by Your Word and by Your Spirit, no matter where we are, as we hear these words, for You to work in our midst, for our good and for Your glory. Bless us and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everyone wants to know what 666 is, right? Well, let me present it to you right here on the screen. Here's what it is. This is exactly how you'll find it in the Greek New Testament. See that up there? Or in your, your screen? That's 666. How about that? Not what you expected, huh? There are no Arabic numbers. Back then, people didn't use Arabic numbers. That came later on. What they did, they used the alphabet. So the first 10 letters of the alphabet were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. The next 10 were the decimals, that is 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. And then after that came the hundreds. Uh, so that was how they, they wrote their numbers out back then. Uh, well, what we do know, according to the Bible, which we just read, is that 666 is the number of the beast. Well, who or what is that? Who or what is the beast? Well, there's a full description of him that we read this morning in Revelation 13. So let's look at it. Number one, his origin, 
He comes up out of the sea. Now we understand that Revelation is not a, a photo album. It's more like a picture image book. So the sea always represents unregenerate humanity. Out of the chaos of unregenerate humanity is where the beast arises. His appearance, he has ten horns, seven heads. The horns have diadems on them. The head have blasphemous names on them. He looks like he has the appearance of leopards, bear, and a lion right out of the book of Daniel. He's fearsome. You know, he doesn't have any of the appearance of a dove or kitty cats or puppy dogs or lambs, things like that. It's fearsome is the way he looks. His power, it talks about his power. His power comes from the dragon. Here's what we read. Put it on up there. Let's see what it says. The dragon gave him, the dragon gave him, that is the beast, his power. He gave his authority to the beast. We know who the dragon was. We dealt with that last week. That's the devil. That's the serpent. He's the one who stands behind the power, behind the throne, as it were. Now, we must keep this in mind. It's unregenerate people led on by the devil and in complicity with him. That's what we see here. It's unregenerate people led by the devil and in complicity with him. And the bottom line is, here's what it's all about. Uh, we read this also in verse 4 of chapter 13. It says, uh, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. So it's about worship. Who will you honor as God? Who will you honor as most, <coughs> excuse me, as most to be honored? And we know the devil wants people, the world, to worship him, not God. So, uh, uh, this is what it's about. It's about not worshiping God, but worshiping something else, which eventually finds its way back to the devil himself. Now, what does the beast do? He wages war. And he's a mighty war wager. He's seemingly undefeated and unconquerable so far. Ah. Uh, he wages war, he blasphemes God. So here's what we read in Revelation 13, 6. It says, he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Anything to defame God, to de defame those who say they believe in God, those who follow God. Uh, those in heaven can be those, uh, the memory of the saints are, right now we've been elevated, we're with God as it were, <clears throat> in the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. He wants to get rid of us. He wants to get rid of that. It's about not uh, letting them be honored at all. <clears throat> and then it goes on to say, this war making and this blaspheming, he makes war on the saints and overcomes them, right? Uh, it will also be given him to make war with the saints <coughs> and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. I'm going to have to put a little lozenge in my mouth. 
I'm getting a tickle. And uh, I'll just keep coughing if I don't do that. So if you hear this clickety-clack, clickety-clack, it's the lozenge in my mouth bouncing against my teeth. <coughs> it's not the death rattle, we hope. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's given to him. Notice that he does not have this authority himself. Even the, the dragon doesn't. This is the thing Gary talked about, about sovereignty. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this is not something that he simply does on his own. It's given to him from above, from someone who is sovereign. And that is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, and here's the thing. <clears throat> it contrasts completely with what we read in Psalm 66, verse 1. It says, all the earth, all, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Right? All who dwell on the earth will worship him. As opposed to Psalm 66, which said that all are going to worship God in due time. And that's the goal of the devil, to have everyone worship him, no matter where, to honor him above God. That's the great challenge that goes down through the ages, is who will you worship as God? And the devil doesn't care if you, you worship a, a stone, or the sun, moon, and stars, or yourself, so long as you don't worship God. <clears throat> because if you don't worship God, you'll end up worshiping him in one way or another. And so that's what's going to happen. Now, here's what you want to know, <clears throat> right? Who or what is this beast? Here's the answer. The beast is the Roman Empire. Now you say, John, that's an awfully bold assertion to make. I agree, it is a bold assertion. But we have help. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, Here's what we read. Now this is, you know, four chapters on. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. That's Rome, the city set on seven hills. Everyone knows that. All the, those seven churches to whom... Uh, uh, John sent this letter to the auto. The, the city was seven hills. That's Rome. Rome is the ruling power of the day. They understand that. So it's him. By the way, the, the, the woman that I mentioned here, the harlot, we've not met her yet. We're still today in, a, in the process of learning who the cast is. We did part of that last week. We did part of it today. We'll do some more next week. Uh, but we're thankful for Revelation 17, which gives us clues and answers to who the beast is. It tells us that. We'll be preaching on Revelation 17, the last Sunday of April, so just four weeks from now. Now, in, in that, what we just read in Revelation 17, is it still upper? Yeah, it's still there. <clears throat> That's one of those internal markers that shows us when this vision was received by John. Uh, it says that there are seven kings Five have fallen. That is, they're dead. One is. He's alive now. And one is yet to come for just a little while. Now, who are those guys? They're the Caesars. And they're going to put the, the Caesars up here. It's the line of Caesars that began with Julius Caesar. <clears throat> He's the first one. 
<clears throat> before that, there was no Roman Empire. There was the Roman Republic. You're not interested in that, but I had to study things like that. And so Julius Caesar is the first one of the empire. He's the first emperor. The second is Augustus. That's when Jesus was born. We read about that in Luke 2. Um, the third is Tiberius. He was the one who was reigning when Jesus was crucified. The fourth was Caligula. Uh, you've probably heard about him. He was a pretty much of a monster. The fifth was Claudius. <coughs> and you have uh, perhaps I, Claudius. There was a, a series about that, which did not depict all the horrendous things that Claudius did and what he was. The sixth was Nero. Uh, and then the seventh will be, uh, by the way, you see I have here, Nero reigned from A.D. 54 till A.D. 68, 14 years. Uh, he was only 17 years old when he began to reign. He reigned until he was like 31, 32 years old, what Nero did. Uh, now, the five that are fallen, that are dead, are Julius through Claudius. The one who still is, is Nero. Hence, John received this vision while this sixth one is, is alive. I mean, it's, it's one of those, you're very thankful that this was in there. It helps us date the time the vision was received and John wrote it down. Now, the beast is personified in the person of Nero. I was preparing this and I was thinking about Nero. Uh, when you think about Nero in your mind, who do you think of? I think of Joaquin Phoenix, don't you? In what's the movie? Uh, Gladiator. No, he's a, he's Commodus there and he's just a wicked old guy like, oh, oh bye. And so I think that's, that's in my mind, you know, you have to have a picture of someone. Well, that's my picture is Joaquin Phoenix. It's not accurate, it's not true, but that's what I do. You have to do what you do. Uh, Nero, despite what we think, to us, that name has a, a pejorative sound to it. For the people of his time, he was very, very popular. He could have been a contemporary 20th century politician because <clears throat> his popularity was based on, he gave them all kinds of things. He gave them money, he gave them games, he gave them food. They were happy. Now, the country was broke. They were borrowing and borrowing and borrowing, giving this money away, giving all these things away, but, but he was very popular with the people. Uh, Hello, for Nero's around today. But he was exceedingly corrupt and debauched. He was incestuous. What do you mean? You have to read Suetonius to see all this, but and Tacitus, uh, he had relations with his mom. His, by the way, his parents were completely debauched as well. The whole line of Caesar were mostly debauched, to speak of another. He was a murderer. He murdered his brother. He murdered his mother, finally. He had her poisoned. He murdered uh, his one wife and their unborn child. She was pregnant, and he kicked her to death. Uh, he murdered all kinds of people. People were scared of him. If he didn't like you, he'd just have you murdered or do it himself. Uh, he was debauched. He had sex with everything that moved and didn't move sometimes. Just a corrupt, debauched person was Nero. Uh, it talks about 
how uh, they seek to worship in that. He had a 120-foot statue made of himself and uh, for people to adore, to look at. He, he, he fancied himself a poet, a musician, and an athlete. So he would enter competitions. And even if he came in last, they'd give him the prize for being first. I mean, it's documented. One race he didn't even finish, he was driving chariots, but they still gave him the prize anyway. Because if they didn't give him the prize, well, kaput, right? Yeah, so that, that's old Nero. Uh, what we remember Nero for is fiddling while Rome burned, right? Now that great fire began on the 19th of July in the year 64. It lasted six days and seven nights. Uh, here's how Suetonius explains this. It says, Nero, Suetonius writes this, Nero watched the conflagration, which lasted for six days and seven nights, I put that in, from the tower of uh, Mycenaeus, enraptured by what he called the beauty of the flames. He says, oh, isn't that a glorious sight? Rome's burning. Rome's burning. And he's enraptured by the beauty of the flames. Now, there were consequences to this because it burned out all kinds of folks, all kinds of neighborhoods, rich people and poor people alike. All kinds of things were burned. And people began to say, Nero had the fire set himself. He did all sorts of things to try and convince them that such was not the case. There were consequences. So, uh, again, we read in, 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 in Tacitus this time, <clears throat> it says, but neither human resources nor imperial munificence nor appeasement of the gods, eliminated sinister suspicions that the fire had been instigated. That is that Nero himself had set the fire. And there was a popular backlash against him because look at the devastation around us. Look at what's happened to our city. And you did it, you booger. Right? That's what you're saying. Well, Tacitus goes on and says this. To suppress this rumor, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians. Isn't that a good way to, de to describe Christians? The notoriously depraved Christians. Tacitus was not a friend of Christians, uh, as they were popularly called. Their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius' reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. But in spite of this temporary setback, the deadly superstition, that's us, hello, the deadly superstition had broken out afresh, not only in Judea, but even in Rome. All degraded and shameful practices collect and flourish in the capital. Now, this is important for you to know. Just, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, the Bible is just made up its fairy tales, and the things that are said are fairy tales. This is a, a pagan historian writing about what happened in Rome uh, and what happened to the Christians. And you can tell that he has, he has no illusions uh, or ideas about what they really, he has illusions about how bad they are, if you would, but he believes those things. And uh, this tells us that. Again, what we said before, you know, Christ was crucified while Tiberius reigned as Caesar and Pontius Pilate was the fellow who did it. Extra biblical proof, if you would, uh, that confirms what the Bible says. Uh, so the consequences were that. Uh, so what he did, he had Christians arrested. Here's what we continue on with Tacitus in the same spot. It says, first... Nero had self-acknowledged Christians arrested. Then, on their information, large numbers of, other, of others were condemned 
not so much for their incendiarism, that is not because they, set, they were accused of setting fires, as because the human race detested them. That is, they were social outcasts. No one wanted them around. Now, when he says this, Tacitus, you know, among the people who were affected by this were Peter and Paul. They were among those who were martyred during the reign of Nero. Sometime between June of, well, November of 64 and June of 68 is when they died under Nero's persecution. Uh, now, how did, here you get a, a picture of what Nero was like. Here's how Tacitus, again, this is not from some Christian apologist. This is from a pagan source. Here's how he says those Christians were, were taken care of. It says, their deaths were made farcical, dressed in wild animal skins. They were torn to pieces by dogs. That is, put out in the arena, dressed in wild skins, and they list loose dogs on them, and they tear them apart. Are crucified, that's how Peter was supposedly killed, was crucified upside down, are made into torches to be ignited after dark as substitutes for daylight. Oh, it's getting dark early tonight. We, we, should, we should light the torches. Well, let's uh, get, grab a few of those Christians, wrap them in wild skins or whatever, and put them up here, and let's light them up. Boom. <coughs> that happened. It says Nero provided his gardens for the spectacle. So now when we read John's prophecy about how the beast overcame even the saints and how he put them to death, that's what you would think of, things like this. That began in November of 64. Remember the fire occurred in July. He tried to say it wasn't him for a number of months. But then he says, well, people aren't believing me, so I'm going to have someone else to blame it on. It's the Christians. So from November of 64 until Nero committed suicide on June the 9th in 68, that persecution was ongoing. It was all, all around. Uh, now, if you are doing your math, you're saying November of 64 to uh, June of 68, that would be what? 42 months. Three and a half years, 1,260 days. Amazing. I don't say that means anything necessarily, but you, you just you, you think about that. You do that, those things. Now, Nero's suicide resulted in that seventh one that we read about, <clears throat> that John talked about, that he saw. Uh, in three successors, none of them in the Julian line, within the next 12 months. They all were either assassinated or committed suicide, each, each of those three. And what's going to happen is Vespasian will come from Judea, where he's been making war on the Jews, with the Jews, and is going to come back from there, establish order. His son Titus will then take his place in uh, Judea and will eventually capture Jerusalem, which is, uh, happens in A.D. 70. So... What I've said about the beast is that the beast is really the Roman Empire personified in the person of Nero. I'll say more in just a little bit about that. But there's a second beast that we meet in, in uh, Revelation 13. <clears throat> it's the land beast. This beast comes up uh, 
from the land, not from the sea. Uh, and he has two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Here's, here's, do we have that there? Yeah. So it has a, a gentle appearance, but behind him, the voice that speaks is that of the dragon, that is the devil. Uh, this land beast is also termed in, in the scriptures in Revelation particularly as the false prophet. So we find in Revelation chapter 19, 20, where it talks about the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. So he's also the false prophet. Sometimes you think there's the beast, another beast, and a false prophet of the devil. Nope, just the, the second, the, the land beast is also the false prophet. Now, it says here that he does false signs and wonders. Well, yes, the devil can do signs and wonders, just so you know. We've known that from forever and a day. When Moses <clears throat> comes back from Midian into the Egypt, he does these signs that God gave him. The magicians are able to replicate them up to a point. The devil has certain things he can do, supernatural powers. That is, above our human level of powers, he can do. Uh, we saw the same thing when you read through Acts. There were a number of Jewish folks uh, or other false guys who were doing uh, miraculous things or trying to do miraculous things and saying they did miraculous things. So, yes, those things happen. Also, there's just plain old sleight of hand. You know, Houdini kind of stuff. All this is in play when it says the land beast did all these signs. Who is this second beast, the land beast, the false prophet? It's the cabal of Jewish high religious officials. They've been in bed with the Romans since before Jesus' crucifixion. They're, they're linked together with that, the Roman Empire. Together they confirm that Jesus should not live, that he should die, and they crucify him. And that cabal just keeps on going for the next 40 years, from 33 to AD 70. Uh, now, what about that mark of the beast? It's not necessarily a tattoo or something like that. What it really refers to is the giving of one's mind and will, one's, what one does to, to whomever you worship as God, uh, to do their bidding. It could be that uh, the mark of the beast is a pinch of incense that says, Caesar's Lord. It could be this or it could be that. But it's something where it would be some little seemingly insignificant thing you need to do to show who you worship, who you understand God to be. It could be simple, innocuous things, but required things. I always think, <clears throat> well, gee, it could be in our day, it'll be a, an embedded chip. Unless you get this chip, Put somewhere in your hand or somewhere in your body, you can't really do anything. Well, I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but it's, it's something like that where it's, it's an innocuous thing, doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but it's where you show who is boss, as it were, in your life. Now, we need to understand the word for the, the term for earth. So uh, I'm going to have them project some things for us up here. The Greek word for earth is the word gay. You see it there on the screen, it's pronounced gay. It's used 68 times just in the book of Revelation. Now, it can mean a number of things. It can mean the, the whole earth or all of mankind. You know, we're all made out of dirt, out of dust, out of earth. It can mean all of us. It can mean the land of a particular nation. 
the gay of the Egyptians, the gay of the Jews, the gay of whatever, it can mean that. It can mean land as compared with water. It can mean land as compared with air, with heaven, okay? So gay has all those meanings. The question is, is what do they mean here in our text today? Uh, in our text for today, where again our translation reads earth, I think a better translation would, would read the land. That is, the land of the Jews, Israel, where all this is going to focus on the judgment of God. You know, one of the leading newspapers in uh, uh, Israel today is called uh, Haaretz, which is called the land. That's, that's what it means. It means the land. And that's how they always t- thought about Israel. It's the land. They still talk about the land. We hear it as the promised land, but they just call it the land. So it's used this way, for instance, in Acts 7, verse 3. Uh, in Stephen's speech, he quotes what uh, God called Abraham. Abraham. God said, uh, leave your country, gay, and your relatives, and come into the land, gay, that I will show you. All right? So you see, there, there's a use of that. A better use, or not a better use, but a, another use is found in Hebrews 11, verse 9. And there it says, by faith he, Abraham, lived as an alien in the land, gay, of promise. So I, I put that all up here simply to say that we, we take this word gay and we just, you know, try to force it to mean one thing in all these different circumstances, and it's not necessarily correct. It is not very helpful for us to do so. Revelation, remember, I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it again. Revelation is primarily God's lawsuit against Israel, a reprobate nation. Remember back in the letters to the uh, Church of Seven Churches, twice, Jesus says that the Jews in this particular city, they say they're Jews, but they're really a synagogue of Satan. That's harsh language. That's hard to say, and yet that comes from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is God's lawsuit, all of Revelations is God's lawsuit against the nation of Israel for their rejection of Him. Again, we're not going to go through what we did last, last week where we showed uh, all those different places where, where uh, that's documented. It will result in a devastating destruction that's still playing out today. Now, we need to meet <clears throat> one other group of people here in this text today, the saints. This is the real audience, the real auditors, uh, the real viewers of the picture, the vision that Jesus has given to John. He's given to, to the saints, to us, for us to be informed, to be encouraged, and to be made strong through this vision. The folk living then, we're going to face that. We've just talked about that. And they need to have realistic expectations. You talk about uh, premarital counseling, Brian does. Uh, one of the things I do with, with pre- in premarital counseling is we usually spend one whole session talking about expectations. <clears throat> you know, couples come in to, to get married and, and they all have expectations. Actually, you know, you, you have tens of thousands of expectations. Just the way it is. Uh, but I try to give you a list of a couple of them. Maybe four or five or six. And then see if they, if they match up. And then I say, you know, one of the things is that once you're, you, you get married, you're going to find out you have to change your expectations all along the way. If you think, well, here's my expectation, here's what's going to be, and boom, and it's not that, well then, well, this is not marriage the way it's supposed to be. I'm out of there. No, you've got to change your expectations all along. Well, 
what Jesus is doing here for the saints, for us, for them, is giving us right expectations, letting us see what's there. Uh, that's what Matthew 24 likewise was about. Uh, you got to choose some things. Look at what it says here in Matthew 13, 8 and 9. Or not Matthew, but Revelation 13, 8 and 9. Do they have that up here? Can they find it? They got it. There we go. It says, all who dwell on the earth, think the land, will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written <clears throat> from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So all those in the land are going to worship him, going to fall prey to this beast. That is, except those whose name have been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. All will succumb, but not you. That's good to hear, isn't it? You're facing uncertain days. Well, I don't know if I'm going to live up. Well, you know, I promise you, all will succumb except for you. Why? Because you're so smart? Because you're so good? Because you're so virtuous? No, because Christ has chosen you. Before the foundation of the earth, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh. Here, I thought it depended upon my strength, upon my mental ability, upon my great appearance. It doesn't. Now, I like to have strength. I like to have mental faculties. I like to have a, an appearance. It's right and good. But none of those things are what's going to keep me standing strong. What keeps me standing strong is the grace of God, which I cannot account for from myself. It doesn't rise from within me. It comes from without and gets me. Uh, and you notice they talk about the mark of the beast. I know I'm going over, but you're comfortable at home. These guys here, tough on them. But uh, <laughs> that's the mark of the beast. But, but we don't have a mark. We, we, we have a seal. Remember back in chapter 7, we'll see it again next week. Next week or two weeks from now. We're sealed, not just marked. A mark comes off. If you're sealed, boom, the seal cannot be broken. We're sealed by God. Nothing can take that away. Now, so because of that, reality is redefined. Expectations are different. Jesus rules and reigns. No matter what anyone thinks or says, what the situation looks like, God is in his heaven, and all is right on the earth. Perfect. I'll give you $5 after the service, Gary, for putting that up or like that. Uh, God reigns. We know that. We, we talked about that last week. Now, we're having uh, warfare that reigns. We have to reign in the midst of warfare. That's true, but it reigns. God reigns, and the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. Now, here's some applications. I'll go quickly, if I can, from, from this. One, unregenerate men govern at the behest of it and under the power of the dragon ordinarily. We tend in that direction. They start off good, but they, they deteriorate. Just look at Western civilization. Look at our own government. They, 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 they don't realize what they're doing. Did you know that the, the stimulus bill that got passed this past week, everyone was glad the stimulus bill got passed. What held it up for so long? Because some politicians had put pork in there and rotten stuff in there. Uh, that is that they were going to fund abortion through that. And the guy said, well, hold on, we're not doing that. They wanted to seek all those things in there. And did you notice that I don't know where it is. It's in California. There's in Texas, other places. 
Planned Parenthood has refused to shut down its abortuaries because they say it's an essential medical procedure. Really? I must go in there and dismember preborn babies. That's really essential to life. Huh? You see, they do all this, but the voice, it's like a lamb, but the voice is the voice of a dragon, the devil, who came to kill, steal, and destroy. The old Burgerfeld decision. Nice and cozy up here, but folks, behind that is the voice of the dragon calling us to dispute all this transgender things. The voice of the dragon lies behind that. Giving us to dispute what God has said. So that's one, one, one uh, application. Another application is governments fall and rise. Nero, you know, they, they, after he had committed suicide, there was a great following that still thought 30, 40 years later that he was going to rise again, going to come back. In fact, there were some guys who came back and said they were Nero, but they weren't. Uh, but the Roman Empire survived that year of instability. Vespasian came back, and the Roman Empire was good. It would keep on doing things for a while. The Soviet Union fell. We said, hallelujah, all's gone. It's all well with, with over in the, the communist bloc because the Soviet Union has fell, fallen. But what, what's happened? It's, it's re-arisen. Well, not as the Soviet Union, but the totalitarian government has. And the force that goes... Uh, We'll see when we get to chapter 20 how the millennium, likewise, you know, there's going to be a great, good millennium here before Christ returns. And then at the very end of that millennium, uh, the dragon's going to raise his voice again and there's going to come great rebellion. And that's when Christ will return. Number three, religion is powerful. We must choose whom we will worship. I don't care where you're reading the scriptures, it's always on us, God's people to choose. Jeremiah was confronted by prophets. And the people in Jeremiah say, how could they tell if Jeremiah was a true prophet or if this posture was a true prophet? Huh? They didn't wear signs. They didn't wear labels. You have to figure it out. You have to choose who you're going to believe, who you're going to follow. And religion is important. And it makes a difference in what you believe and who you believe and who you walk with. That's what it tells us here. So walk with the saints, even if at this particular point in time, they are being called despicable to the whole human race, like they were in the time of Tacitus. But be with them. Be with the people of God. And finally, the fourth application, we must stand and we shall stand. Look what we read in Psalm 66. What does it say? He says, wake up in the back. We want Psalm 66. You got that? Hey, there they go. Uh, Bless our God, O peoples. <clears throat> Sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. Now listen to this. That's it. You know, all victorious Christians want to read this. That's good that, that far. But then they stop. It says, for you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You, you, you brought us into the net. You, 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 you laid an oppressive burden on our loins. You made men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water. That sounds tough, doesn't it? Yet, 
you brought us out into a place of abundance. Folks, that's the, <clears throat> the way of the people of God. And we live in difficult days. We've lived in wonderful days. We've lived in difficult days. But no matter which days we live in, we know that these days here are limited, and we're looking for that which lies ahead. We're like John Bunyan's pilgrim. We're on our way to the celestial city, to heaven. We already have our citizenship there. We just haven't made the, the ride across the river, as it were, <laughs> you know? Well, dear friends, <clears throat> that's about all I have from Revelation 13 for today. While it has application, specificity for the days in which John lived, in which the churches of Revelation lived, it has application <clears throat> down through history. So uh, may God give us grace to stand faithful and true in these days where he's called us to be his people. Amen.